And if you have your Bible this morning, I'd like to invite you to open them to the book of Genesis, chapter 6. Genesis 6. Really interesting part of scripture here because it not only affects the generation in those days before the flood, Jesus references it by name in Matthew chapter 24, and it brings us right up to the current world that we're in. I don't know how anything like, no other writings in the world are like this, where it addresses something in the past, something in the present, something in the future, but God's Holy Spirit knows all things. Let's pray. Father, as we go to your word this morning, we just ask you that your Holy Spirit would come now in a special way. Anoint these words that they're not just ink on paper, but God, they become living and they go into our hearts and they change us and they motivate us, God, to be about your business. And so we love you and we thank you, Father. May you bless each person here today, listening around the world, and we bless you and thank you. Amen. Genesis chapter 6, interesting chapter. We find this is the transitional chapter from the old world to the new world. Now, what I mean by the old world, the world that perished. Now, this is a weird thing that the Bible tells us that man had corrupted themselves into the point and violence was everywhere that God chose to destroy all of mankind. Now, Genesis 6, again, tells us what the world was like in those days. It was violent. It was corrupt. People did what they wanted to do. And Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 24, As in the days of Noah, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. They were eating, drinking, marrying, given in marriage, until they went into the ark. You see, there was a big change that was going to happen. Jesus said, just as it was in the days of Noah, it's going to be just like that, Jesus said, when I come back. Well, what come back? You know, the Bible teaches us Jesus is coming twice. First, in the rapture of the church. Now, I know a lot of people have trouble with this. It is not a new concept. It isn't a a concept that came out in 1850. Paul was looking for it. In fact, he said to comfort one another with these words. We find it in Corinthians 15. We find it in Thessalonians. We find it really all the way through the Bible. In fact, even in chapter 5, it says Enoch walked with God and was taken in the book of Genesis. So God supernaturally moving people around isn't a new concept. It's just that he's going to supernaturally move all those that love him, I believe, very, very soon. When we look at this, we look at verse 6. And let's look at this together. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. Imagine seeing a creation, seeing something you made just be totally and and utterly corrupted. I, I think that broke God's heart. And so when he saw all this stuff going on, he said, so the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I've created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things, birds of the air, for I am sorry that I made them. No, it, it is interesting to me that we find a world, Jesus said, as in the days of Noah were, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. I couldn't help but notice several years ago when I walked into the stores that rented video uh, discs, DVDs and stuff, 
And then also now with the event of a lot of the new ways of delivery through the internet, uh, Netflix and all these other things, the, the myriad of movies that are available for uh, our nation and the world to consume. And yet as I look at these, I realize how much they center, I believe, on the very thing that brought a, about God's judgment. We find a world that doesn't love God. We find a world that's full of violence. And I don't care what movie really you pick anymore other than maybe a kid's movie. They are absolutely, utterly filled with with bloodshed and violence. And I don't think there's anybody in the church or even outside of the church that would disagree with me that the movies are violence. You go back and look at the movies of the 40s and the 50s. They're not like that, friends. You compare Gone with the Wind and you look at, uh, as an example, It's a Wonderful Life and these kind of movies. And now you look at where it's just full on, pedal to the metal, bloodshed, violence, and tears all the way through it. And you realize that what you consume is what you become. This is one of the great problems that we find, that the computer was designed very much like your mind. And if you put garbage in, you're going to get garbage out. You put violence in, you're going to get violence out. Because we're trained through the movies how to react to people that we don't like. You don't sit there and sit down with them and try to work things out. You kill them. And so these are problems that I believe, as in the days of Noah were, social the coming of the Son of Man be. What is Jesus talking about there with the coming of the Son of Man? I believe he's directly referencing the rapture of the church. I do not believe it is the second coming of Christ. And here's why. When you study the book of Revelation, and we just finished that study before we began the book of Genesis, we find at the end of the tribulation period, this seven-year period of time in which God judges an unbelieving world and deals with his nation Israel, that last final seven-week period of time, final seven-year period of time that we find in the book of Daniel, the 70th week of Daniel, that by the end of the tribulation period, all the, every living thing in the sea is dead. The, water, the, the, the waters on the earth turn to blood. All the grass is burned up. Two-thirds of the world's population is dead. And you realize that this isn't Marrying and giving in marriage and life is normal. This is mere survival. When you look at Revelation, the last couple, in fact, Revelation 16 says, unless those days were shortened, there would be no flesh saved. That's why I believe God put a time limit on it of seven years, because if it was to go any longer, we truly would annihilate ourselves. Do we find that unusual? No, I don't think at all. This is one of the great problems of man. You can clean up the environment, but until you clean up men's souls and their minds, nothing's going to change. Have you ever noticed everything that the world does is externally based? We're going to clean up our environment. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. But nothing about the soul of man. The problems are not outside. The problems are inside. The Bible says the heart of man is desperately wicked above all things who can know it. And when we really sat down and really began to do a self-analytical outline of ourselves, we realize that we are lost sinners. We need God. Why? Because it's not within man, not within you, not within me to live righteously. We got to bend for sin and we like it. Why is that? 
It's called an old sin nature. That's what died in the garden. The spirit died. Jesus said, you've got to be born again. Why? There's no internal guidance system. We're like driving on autopilot with the autopilot turned off. And that's why we can do all kinds of horrendous things and think it's okay. At the end, we might say, gee, I wish I wouldn't have done that. But the problem is the damage has been done. So the Bible says, as in the days of Noah were, they were party times. Not what you find described in Revelation 16, 17, 18, 19, where the world is literally melting. It's it's just literally falling apart. But it was good times. Now, I believe this is why the second coming of Christ is important. Because when he comes, he doesn't come to a world where they're eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. The Bible says he comes back and he fights with those in the Valley of of Megiddo, the Battle of Armageddon. Where the kings of the earth had gathered into this great valley to really jostle, fight over whatever resources are left on this planet. That's why they're there. So when we stop to look at the whole picture of what's going on, Jesus said, as in the days of Noah were, he's coming back when things are not completely unraveled. I believe we're very close to the return of Christ, friends. This is one of the things I genuinely believe when you get up in the morning, before you go to bed at night, Jesus may come back. Jesus said, watch and be ready. You don't know what hour your Lord's going to come. Why does he say that? Because in the humanness of mankind, the unregenerated man, they're not looking for God. They're not even considering death. You look at the obituary column every day, filled with all ages of every background. And the problem is when you look at this, nobody gets up in the morning thinking this is the last day I'm going to live. But we as Christians need to get up in the morning thinking this is the day Jesus could come. And because of that, what manner of men, women should we be? Well, this is what the Bible is talking about. There was a corruption that had gone on. Man gets worse and worse and worse. In fact, this is why God limited the length of man's life from a thousand years almost to only 120 or less. And I, I shared last week, I, you know, people say, well, uh, you know, they're 60, they're middle age. <laughs> no, you're over the hill, dude. <laughs> Nobody goes 120 anymore. That's the problem. You see, the problem is we realize that we're, 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 the longer man lives, it seems like the longer he has time to invent wicked things. Well, that's what the Bible says. The Lord said, I will destroy man whom I've created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing, birds of the air, for I am sorry that I made them. Verse 8 is good news. It says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And this is the genealogy of Noah, that Noah was a just man, perfect in his generation, and Noah walked with God. Now, perfect doesn't mean he didn't do anything wrong, but it means that he was a just man. He was a good guy. He was a guy that sought the Lord. The Bible says there's none perfect. No, not one. So don't worry about saying, well, gosh, you know, I couldn't be Noah because I got things I do wrong. No, it means that he was a good guy. Now, here's the point. Noah was the exception in the world. You are the exception at your job. 
You are the exception in your home. You are the exception at the school board. You are the exception in no matter what situation you find yourself, you love God. God loves you, and that changes the things around us. Now notice he says, he walked with God. That's important, friends. Do you know when you walk with God, you're going to have conversation with him? That's what the Bible says, that God would come and walk with man in the cool of the evening. And I like that. Because he'd just have fellowship with him. Hey, how was your day? Hey, it was good. You know, it isn't, oh, thou God above all gods out far away. Our Father, which art in heaven, amen. Do you know that's how religion teaches people to relate with God? Isn't that awful? Oh, I'll tell you, man's religion, it's scary. Why? Because it takes a father-child relationship and changes it into an obscure, distant, legal relationship in which God becomes estranged to you and me. But that isn't what God wants. God wants you to crawl up in his lap and say, Daddy, you know, I have a little girl. And my little girl has no intimidation whatsoever. When she wants to crawl up in my lap, she just comes over and crawls into my lap. I like that. Why? She doesn't come and say, Oh, Father, you're so good to me. Thank you for giving me my dinner. Amen. May I crawl up into your lap? No. She doesn't care. She just crawls in your lap. That's what God wants from you and me. We're his children. He's our father. John, when he's writing in the, in the epistles of John, he says, my little children. My little children implies, <clears throat> friends, that we have a father Some. I pray you know him today. Because you see, that's the relationship God wants to have with you. He wants to walk with you. He wants to have that fellowship with you. Well, it says that Noah walked with God. And Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And the earth also was corrupt before God. And the earth was filled with violence. Wow. Wow. What a tragedy, this beautiful place that God made, and uh, humans destroy it. Funny, it hasn't changed much, has it? It's the same thing. Well, so God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Uh, I I think this is really amazing that um, it isn't the good rubs off on the, the bad, it's the bad always rubs off on the good. And this is one of the great problems that we find. And so it says, God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence. By the way, notice how many times it says the earth was filled with violence. Again, I compare this to the movies. I compare this to the crime reports that come out uh, across our nation and around the world. It isn't just in America. Violence is everywhere, friends. There's no utopian place on this earth. People always go, I want to move someplace where it's going to be really good. Well, good news, it's heaven. It ain't here. So, end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Wow, this is going to be a major change. God said again to Noah. Now, isn't it interesting that God 
informed those that love him what he is about to do. Get this. Jesus very clearly says, henceforth I will no longer call you servants. I will call you friends because a servant does not know what his master is doing. Do you know it's your father's good pleasure to let you know what he's about to do? I like that. Well, notice he said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come upon him. He let Noah know something big is about to happen. Friends, I believe the exact same thing. Now, real quick, we're all aware of so many things going on in our world. Underdeveloped nations, some of the poorest nations on this earth, like North Korea, developing nuclear warheads and intercontinental ballistic missiles. That ought to cause, if you're not a Christian here today, you to stay awake at night. In fact, I would advise you to probably eat eat no-dose, you know, eat barbit, whatever it is, it'll keep you awake. So you'll have all the time you need to worry about everything you need to start worrying about. Because we got real problems. Now, again, if you're taking care of yourself, and, and of course your worry doesn't really do anything, but somehow in the worry you might come up with a solution to your problem that's bothering you. On the other hand, if you trust God, God, it's in your hands. I'm in the back seat. I never see the bumper, God is my co-pilot. Somebody gave me one of those. I put it on my car and I peeled it off. I don't want to be a co-pilot. I want to be in the back seat, in the trunk, if you will. I want God to drive. I don't know what we're doing. I don't know where we're going because I don't know what tomorrow holds. But God does. So I don't want to be saying, okay, God, now you drive and God's driving. Okay, we're doing good. And then I go, I'm your co-pilot. Let me grab onto the wheel too. That's what we like to do with our Christian experience, isn't it, friends? I like God's driving as long as God's going where I want him to go. As long as God does what I want him to do, then, hey, well, okay, well, he's my big buddy upstairs. But then the minute God does something I don't like, I go, well, what is it, God? Don't you love me anymore? Isn't that weird? I'm like that. I don't care how many victories in my life God has given me where I got this big cloud, something bad's going to happen, whatever it might be. You know, you got caught speeding, you got caught doing something, and you're going, oh, God, I'm, I'm going to fry, man. <laughs> oh, God, help me, help me. And you know how it is. You know, it, it's a lot different than when we pray over it. Lord, thank you for this food in Jesus' name, amen. A lot of people think that's, and for a lot of people, that's the extent of their prayer life, and that's unfortunate. But here's the deal. When you got a real problem, you're going, oh, God, help me. I mean, you're grabbing onto the bed. You're squeezing the mattress into the point where you rip holes in the thing. Oh, God. And then God delivers you, and you go, oh, Lord, thank you. Does this relate with anybody? Am I the only one that does this? And, and And I'm going, oh, God, thank you. You're so good. Oh, yeah. Until the next trial comes. And it's like, like all of a sudden we get amnesia and forget all the things that God has gotten us through with perfection. He's gotten us through it. And it's like we forget all that until the next trial comes. And then we go, God, where are you? Same place he always was. In fact, let's go real fast. I want to show you something here real quick. Let's go <coughs> to Genesis 7-1, Genesis 7-1. Just fast forward, just half a chapter up. 
Then the Lord God said to Noah, come into the ark. We can stop right there. Come into the ark. You know what that implies? God was already inside the ark. He didn't say to Noah, go into the ark. He said, come into the ark. Why is that important? Because God will never send us nowhere where he's not. And a lot of times when we go through the trials and the problems and all those things, we think God is taking us into some uncharted territory. God has already been there. He already knows. So he calls out to Noah. Verse 14. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. I don't know what gopher wood is. Maybe he just said gopher wood. I don't know. But whatever it was, we don't find this word comes across in the English very well. So whatever this wood was, it's probably no longer in existence. Now, there's a couple of really important things in this. Peter tells us in 2 Peter that Noah preached to his generation over 100 years. Noah is building this boat. In fact, it tells us here, a little bit more about it. Make it a go for wood. Make rooms in the ark. Cover it inside and out with pitch. By the way, uh, um, people went and read pitch. That's oil. And they began their quest in the Middle East for oil and found it. So uh, there were people that got very wealthy um, doing this. And it says, make this great boat. Make rooms in it. And this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits uh, in width, 50 cubits uh, in height, and 30 cubits. You go, what's a cubit? What's that all mean? It was 450 foot long. Now you figure uh, this is huge. In fact, there wasn't even a boat ever built this big again until 1856, I believe it was. Now this wasn't a sailing ship. This wasn't a cruise ship. It wasn't a battleship. It was just simply a barge to protect life as something was about to happen. Now notice he says, Peter tells us that he preached to his generation for 120 years without one convert. (laughs) Somebody would say, you need to get in another line of work. It said he preached. How did he preach? Well, he preached with his hammer and saw. He was working on this thing. Now, I've shared this before. Uh, Before the flood, after the flood, something majorly changed in our environment. Something majorly changed in the composition, I believe, of the nitrogen to oxygen. All these different things change. And probably carbon-14 dating falls into that category as well. Here's why. I don't know if you've ever made anything out of wood But I know that if you are working on something for 120 years, one end will rot out before you get the other end done. So this thing, in fact, they say um, that after a house is 10 years old, it generally needs some much uh, stepped up maintenance after 10 years. You usually have to paint it, fix the rain gutters that are falling off or whatever. That's after 10 years. After 15 years, many houses need a roof. 
Uh, they need probably some changes in the windows or whatever. The seals on the double pane glass begin to leak and it always looks like you're looking through the fog because the moisture gets in there and all these different things go on. After 15 years, after 20 years, you probably got cracks in your sidewalks. You probably got uh, foundational issues, different things like that. After 30 years, you've got other issues where you almost wonder, well, I think I need to sell this, move to a different house. After, after 60 years, you're dead. It doesn't matter anymore. But the thing is, the point is this. The, the, the thing is, is that everything is in a state of, of falling apart. I don't know if you've noticed yourself. We are falling apart. We get up in the morning, we don't know why. Things don't work the way they used to. Have you ever noticed that when you get up? When you were a kid, you used to jump out of bed. Remember that? Some of you don't. Now when I get up, I sit on the edge of the bed and I'm going, whoa. I made it. And then you, 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 you get up and you get your cup of coffee and you get the newspaper and you look at the obituary column. And if you're not on it, you go to work. Isn't that great? I think about these things and I go, this is crazy because I used to be able to just get up and run and do what I want to do. Now you got to be, oh, and you wiggle your toes because your feet hurt. If you don't kind of break them in first before you... Take off. What I'm saying is that we're in the world. Everything's in a, in a de-evolutionary state. This is why when people come along and they say, oh, well, we believe in evolution. I go, you're nuts. And if you haven't seen in your own, how come we haven't evolved to the point where I don't hurt anymore when I get old? That's something somebody should have changed along the way. But the longer you live, the more you realize things that were once up here, Hang down here. You know, you see these guys on TV and they got all these muscles and they got veins popping out and all these things. And, you know, they do a jumping jack and they pop their head like a grape. And they got just such big muscles. They're just, they're just, and I, I go, I don't know that I want to be like that because I know in a few years what's up must come down. And I, I think about that and I go, I, I don't, see, we're in, <laughs> The ark would have fallen apart on one end before the other end was done. Something was different before the flood. And when we really begin to look at this, we realize that God in his, the way he does things is so that everything works according to his plan. The ark didn't rot out on one end before the other end was done. And as we read on here, you'll see some interesting things about this. You shall make a window for the ark. And you shall finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. And you shall make it with the lower, second, and third decks. This is a three-story building, if you will. They say roughly it was the size of the Titanic. By the way, the Titanic was made by professionals and it sunk. The ark was made by amateurs, and it did the job. The other thing that's interesting about this is God gave Noah this job to do for him. And the Bible says that without telling Noah that there was going to be a flood, he said, build an ark. Now, friends, this is important. Because this is where a lot of times our Christian experience is challenged. 
God will say to do something. We'll say, why? People say, would you like a little wine with your dinner? Yes. I want to sit over there. That's the problem. We begin to whine to God. God says to do something instead of doing what he says to do. We want the whole plan laid out before us. Here's what the deal is. If God was to tell you everything he was going to do in your life, it would overwhelm you anyway, so don't ask. Just be obedient to what he's called you to do. God told Noah without telling him there was going to be a flood or anything. So far, we read this. It doesn't say how God was going to destroy the earth. It doesn't say how he was going to do any of this. He just said, Noah, build a big box. And the Bible says that Noah did that not even knowing what he was building it for. Now, again, I've shared this many times. I'm sure he came under the ridicule of everybody in the known area. I mean, he worked on it for 120 years. Have you ever done that? Have you ever done, gone down to the mall and, and you see this brand new building? Oh, what that's going to be? Is that going to be a red lobster? I like red lobster. You know, we, we have all these ideas of what we hope the building will be. And he keeps working on it, working on it, working on it. Decade in, decade out. Hey, what's this going to be? I don't know. I'm building on a big box. Well, why don't you turn it into a casino or something, you know, make some money. I'm sure he came under all kinds of, of uh, criticism, skepticism, all kinds of things because of what he was doing. Now notice he says, Behold, I make... And behold, I myself am bringing a floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh with breeze of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. God finally revealed to him why he was to build this boat. Now, friends, one of the things we want to remember God will tell you things in your life that you need to do. You may not understand why God is saying, quit your job, get out of this relationship. This person is not good for you, or this business partnership is not good for you. Get out of it. Well, I don't know why God is telling me that. If he's told you to do something and it bothers you and bothers you and bothers you, I would say, listen to God, get out of what it is. Well, I don't know why. Listen, God's got a reason. And I'm glad God hasn't told us everything that he's going to do in our lives because it'd be too overwhelming for any of us anyway. So just being obedient to God is such a great thing that we do. And by the way, if you'll notice this going back to verse 16, it says, set the door of the ark in its side. Now, it is interesting. There was only one entry point to the ark. And there's only one entry point into eternity, and that's Jesus Christ. Jesus said in the Gospels, behold, I am the door. You see, there's not a lot of ways to God. There's only one way to God. And this is why it's so important. Now, again, John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. In that verse, John 14, 6, Jesus categorically said, all the religions of the world are bogus. What? Yeah. Now, why is that? Well, here. God does not want a mechanical relationship with his people. Well, I'm going to burn incense and show my worthiness. I'm going to go out and jump through the hoops. I'm going to wear blue. I'm going to do all these things. 
God just says, I want you to come and sit in my lap and be my child. Isn't that great? And then God says, but God, I've done so many things wrong. God says, I'll fix those things you've done wrong in your life. Religion doesn't do that. Only a relationship with God does that. A God that fixes what we did wrong. Now listen, moms and dads, dads and moms, and kids of every age. That's what your dad was supposed to do growing up. See, when I was little, I would break things. I would do all kinds of stuff. And somehow my dad always knew how to fix what I did wrong. By the way, for every man in this room, every man listening, you be as close to a picture of God to your kids as you can be. And here's why. The jump between an earthly father and a heavenly father is easy when you've had a good earthly father. It's hard when you say, I didn't even know who my dad was. It's hard when, when, uh, as a father, you didn't do anything for your family. You were too busy to take interest in your family. See, the thing is, is that the way young people relate to their father is the way when we're older, we relate to God. That's why there is such an attack by Satan on the family. That's why in the Communist Manifesto, the first thing they want to do is break up the family. That's why they want to take the kids away from the parents when they're one year old. Adolf Hitler recognized this as well when he said, you give me your kids from one to five, after that you can have them back. Those formative years, zero to five, are the most important years. And that's why we have all this stuff that goes on in our society today because we don't have time for kids. Well, the kids are going to relate to God someday the way that... And that's why the Communist Manifesto wants to knock the wheels out from underneath the family that the state becomes your father and your mother. That's what it is. And so therefore, you're always indebted to what? The state. So if they want to raise your taxes to 90%, well, they can do that because after all... It's about the state. You see, that's the collective or that's the common good. Not realizing that that is not what the Bible says a family is. And so when we look at this, he says, I'm bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy them. And every living thing literally will die. Verse 18, but I will establish my covenant with you. And you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, your son's wives with you. And every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sword into the ark to keep them alive with you. And they shall be male and female. And of the birds of their kind, animals of their kind, every creeping thing, Earth after its kind, two of every kind will come with you to keep them alive. And you shall take for yourselves food which is eaten, and you shall gather it to get for yourselves, and it shall be food for you and for them. Thus Noah did according to all that God commanded him. And so he did. Wow. You see, there's a great blessing in being obedient to what God calls us to do. You don't know your obedience, what and how it will affect people around you. In this particular case, what Noah did 
literally saved the human race. People always use the word, well, I don't know him from Adam. Really, you don't know him from Noah (laughs) and his sons. Because, see, again, the world had corrupted itself. Now, next week when we get into this, we're going to see what happened. It was just the rain for 40 days and 40 nights. No, the Bible says something much more interesting. It says the wells of the deep broke open. I don't know how many people here have been down to uh, uh, Arizona, for instance. And you look at these mountains that look like a giant fire hose literally just blasted the mountains away. This wasn't a rain like an Iowa do, friends. This was a rain like a torrent, like the whole sky just opened up all at once. And the Bible says that the floodwaters actually stood over 23 feet above the highest mountain, thus killing everything on earth. You know, it's kind of funny because we think that, um, well, 40 days and 40 nights and the 41st day, you know, he popped the door open and said, whoa, different world. No, not at all. He was on the boat for months. And one of the things that we find, in fact, he was on the top of the mountain for months as well until the floodwaters, the Bible says, receded. So it was not only the rain that came down, it was the wells of the deep broke open. And they say something interesting. They say that every year there's what's called new water. They say there's one new cubic mile of water on the earth every year that wasn't here the year before. It comes out of the earth. It's a weird thing. There's a lot of things about this world we don't know. But you see, the point is, is this. God had a purpose for Noah. This is the good news. God's got a purpose for you. And and God wants to use us to make an impact in that circle of people we're in. And like I said earlier, you may be the only Christian at your job. You may be the only Christian in your home. You may be the only Christian on your street. Let your light shine. Do what God has called you to do. Now, again, if we believe that we're evolved sludge, lightning hit a swamp, and here we all are, there's really the odds of really having any real purpose on this earth are almost zero, isn't it? But no wonder so many people are frustrated because they're saying, I want to know why I'm here. Well, see, if you believe that there's a God who created everything, And that everything you see, and especially in the universe of its exactness, the 23 and a half degrees that were offset, so we have seasons, which was necessary for life, that were exactly the right amount of miles away from the sun, so we don't freeze up or we don't burn up. All the things, and people go, wow, pure luck. Really? Show me one place. Anywhere, any atheist, any evolutionist, show me one place where randomness ever produced order. It doesn't. Random, that's like saying, well, a hurricane hit a trailer park and here's a whole row of brand new cars and they're beautiful as the result of that. It doesn't happen. Randomness never produces order ever. So that tells me that because there's a natural order of things. That's why the Bible says only the fool is said in his heart there is no God. Because when you sit back and you look at everything, you've got to go, somebody figured this out. 
It's like going and saying, wow, look at that overpass over that freeway. That just happened. No, it had to be made. And when we stop to realize you're made for a reason, there's too many things that tells me this wasn't randomness. Then what does this God that created everything want from us? And so you see that in order to have a a communistic idea, in order to have a a, uh, evolved mentality that we're just a cosmic accident, is extremely important to have when you want to prove or to push that there is no God. But the problem is, the Bible tells us, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen. That's weird. His invisible attributes are clearly seen. That means I've got to look, not maybe necessarily so much with my eyes, but I have to think it through. Could these things just happen? Or are they made? And if they're made, they're made by a God. And what does this God want from me? What does God want from you? Well, see, that's the great thing. Well, the devil comes along and says, well, if you do believe in God, God would never have you in his presence because you're a scumbag. And you know what's the truth? I am. (laughs) You're right. But the good news is God loves scumbags. The Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's good news. That means God had a long-term projected plan to redeem us from the foundations of the world. I like that. So that means that God knowing everything about me and you still chose us to be in his kingdom. You say, well, I don't know if I'm chosen. Accept Christ here today and you'll know you are. Simple. See, when we pray, we just say, Lord, I want to be your kid. I want to know why I'm here. I don't want to do the stupid stuff I've been doing anymore to somehow define my life. Oh, look at how good I am. Look at all my diplomas on the wall. Now, if you have diplomas on your wall, I haven't been to your house, and I'm not pointing at you. But I'm saying if you think those things are make you what you are, you're fooling yourself. Because you're far greater than a piece of paper or a diploma or a trophy. You are divinely made by God for his divine purpose. If you try anything else, you'll never find satisfaction. That's why you'll go from one fad to the next fad to the next fad to the next fad because we're looking for what is going to make me complete. Well, the world says I need to be Gucci, so I'll get Gucci. The world says I need to be something else. And and we run after this stuff like we're a bunch of mindless people. No, we're just lost. And that's why Jesus said we can be found. He likened it to a woman who has lost a coin. And she wouldn't rest until she claimed every aspect of her home to find the lost coin. Friends, you're the lost coin. You're the lost sheep. God would give up everything to find you. You're not here today by accident. You're not listening to this on the internet or on one of the radio stations or wherever around the world. Divine appointment. Do you realize that more of your life as a Christian is divine appointment than anything else? 
You can never as a Christian say, wow, pure luck. No, you don't have luck. You have a divine commission of God if you're his child. But let's say you're not a child of God. Well, let's get back to the no-dos. You need to worry about everything. I don't know how you can even sleep at night because you need to worry, what if I die in my sleep? And what if there's life hereafter? And what if I do happen to make an account of my life before something out there? You got a lot to worry about. No wonder people get drunk. No wonder people get loaded. Because I, I just can't, I, I, I got to find some release. I got I to gotta get a buzz on. Let me get some drunk. Let me get, get some booze. Let me get something in here. Oh, oh, I feel better now. Because, you see, you have to worry about everything. But you know when you accept Christ as your Savior? The Bible says casting all your cares on him, he cares for you. Isn't that good news? I don't got to worry anymore. Boy, who keeps you today? Maybe I should ask this in a modern vernacular. Who's your daddy? And if it isn't God, friends, you've got a lot to worry about. But if he is your daddy, and Jesus has forgiven your sins, and you have been adopted into his family, and you're about your father's business, and your life is going to mean something in eternity, wahoo! That's good. So whatever it is that's bothering you, hey, Lord, it's your problem. I'm your kid. You got me lock, stock, and barrel with all the good things about me, whatever those might be, and all the bad things about me you got. And God says, okay. And God sends us through his giant scrub-a-dub, his car wash, and starts cleaning us up. And friends, I find that sometimes I need to make that trip through the car wash quite often. But that's okay. God doesn't mind. The Bible says, if we sin, We have an attorney. We have an advocate with the Father, John tells us in 1 John, which is Christ Jesus. This morning, if you've never received Christ as your Savior, you're living it for yourself. You're saying, hey, man, I'm throwing the dice. I'm going to worry about my own life. Well, you got to ask yourself, do you feel lucky? Well, do you? You see, that's the problem. Because if you're wrong, you missed eternity. So this morning, if you've never prayed and asked Christ in your life, we're going to pray. You can get serious with God and say, God, I'm, I'm tired of burning it at both ends for no reason. I want to be about your business. We're going to pray right now. You can pray. Ask God in your life. You'll pass from heaven to hell. You'll pass from, from, from non-existence to eternal existence. You'll, you'll, you'll go from eternal punishment to eternal reward. Let's pray. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I invite you into my life today. I am sorry I have wasted it. And so from this day forward, I turn it all over to you. I'm putting it all on you, Jesus. And so now make me the best that can be for you. Forgive me of my sins. I believe this is why you died on the cross for me. But you arose to give me life and let me live that life every day for you. And fill me with your Holy Spirit. So I'll be empowered to do what you want me to do. In Jesus' name, amen.